Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. This is where we look at why what's on the charts is on the charts. Ariana Grande's on the charts this week. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about Miss Grande this week. Uh, really, all things Ariana going to be the main focus of this podcast. Obviously, I assume if you are hearing this, you follow the charts, you follow what's happening. You probably have heard by now Ariana Grande numbers one, two, and three on the Billboard Hot 100 this week and number one album on the Billboard 200. So really the Grande takeover that many of her fans, you know, they've been waiting patiently for for that first number one hit for a long time. And now, I mean, she's just racking up hits after hit after hit after hit and all at the same time. So we're going to talk about that history-making feat. Plus, we're also going to talk to one of the co-writers on both number one hits from this album, Seven Rings, and title track, Thank You, Next, Neomza, a songwriter and rising artist in her own right. So she's going to tell us the backstory of what happened with Seven Rings and what the vibe was like writing with Ariana and many of her pals turning a Sound of Music theme into a number one hit. So we'll have that coming up. And we're actually going to, believe it or not, We'll talk about a few things that are not Ariana Grande as well. So if she's not quite your cup of tea, we'll have some content for you as well. All right. Let's kick off with this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, if you like Ariana, if you like Halsey as well, this top 10's for you. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger flame here in sickle mode. Number six. I wanna 
number five. Then you're left in the dust, unless I stuck by ya. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much, or you'll be left in the dust. Number four. So you can take advantage of me. Tell me how's it feel sitting up there, feeling so high, but too far away to hold me. You know I'm the one who put you up there. Deep in the sky, does it ever get lonely? Thinking you could live without me. Thinking you could live without me. Number three. Ariana Grande in every one of those spots. A trifecta, a Neapolitan, a triple scoop, a hat trick, whatever you want to call it. She did it. Top three spots on the Hot 100. Uh, you guys just heard them. We'll, we'll back them up for you. Number three, Thank You Next, the title track of the massive album that's number one this week on the Billboard 200. Was number one for seven weeks. Uh, previously at the end of last year, into the top of this year. Number two, brand new track. Uh, debut break up with your girlfriend i'm bored already probably very much in the running for best song title of 2019 and number one for a fourth week it is the track seven rings so huge week for her to have the top three spots on the billboard Hot 100 if you're thinking that sounds like some unprecedented territory yeah, you're kind of right. Uh, there's been no solo artist to ever have the top three spots at once on the Hot 100, and only one act has done it overall. Yes, of course, if you know anything about chart history, your first guess is probably the right guess. It was indeed the Beatles back in their 1964 heyday. So, uh, yeah, uh, 55 years ago for five weeks in 1964, the Beatles, uh, right at the start of Beatlemania in uh, March and April 1964, uh, they had the top three uh, for five weeks, including one week where they had the entire top five. Only time that's ever happened on April 4th, 1964. But uh, let's go back to uh, April 25th, 1964. That was the last time until this week that we had the top three by one act. This is what the top three sounded like. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Money, money can buy me love, buy me love, love, buy me love. 
Free from the Beatles uh, back in 1964, April 25th, the last time that uh, one act had the entire top three. At number three, Do You Want to Know a Secret? Number two, Twist and Shout. And number one, Can't Buy Me Love. I like how Can't Buy Me Love and, and Seven Rings, they're both about uh, materialism. Is that the through line we found? Well, uh, the, j- just those two songs well, about uh, mate- I'm sure Madonna is somewhere, you know, seething at you right now. Uh, uh, how about uh, Diamonds? Here's the Beatles singing about Diamonds. No, 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 say you don't need no diamond rings and I'll be satisfied. And 2019 version, Ariana. Wearing a ring but ain't gonna be no misses by matching diamonds for six a month. A little bit different. Ah, kills me. Yeah, it almost feels like in some ways that uh, the achievement is this week. She's numbers uh, one, two, and three this week. But it, it almost feels like it's, it's such a culmination of what's been happening for the last uh, last few months since November. It almost feels like it's kind of been uh, leading up to this with all the anticipation of the album and one single after another and how big these videos are. It just kind of feels like, uh, yeah, it's not that – as much as this hasn't happened in 55 years, it's in some ways not that surprising that it happened this week. Well, and what an interesting – for me, I think one of the interesting things about this is the flip of the recent narrative that we've seen. One of the things that I think that Ariana Grande does that shifts away from what Taylor, what Drake, what Bieber, what Beyonce, what a lot of them did is the accessibility. I mean, Ariana's on Twitter every day talking with everybody, retweeting, sharing videos. You know, this narrative of sort of, you know, step back and sort of become this, I don't know, mystery figure or don't give a lot of interviews, don't engage, you know, don't be around. Uh, and that that seemed to be what drove success is this, you know, sort of untouchability and sort of mystique about you. And, you know, it's all about the music. And so when you come out, it's, oh, you know, Drake's, you know, this is this is the statement. The music is the statement. And for Ariana Grande, I think that's really cool that that she can engage and, you know, talk to her fans every day directly and sort of flip what what people have sort of assumed superstars need to do on its head. You can't fake that too. It has to be something that uh, you just feel. Uh, you could you could try to fake it. It, it. I don't think it would connect. I think it's just this is who she is. Well, I think it definitely yeah. I mean, rallies the fan base especially. Like you know, they know that she's watching. They want to do all these great things for her. She celebrates right there with them. And she's always talking about you know when something happens, love you guys so much. Thank you for making this happen for me, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that. You know, that that definitely creates this this cyclical effect that really gets people going for when these albums come out, when these songs are out in a in a way that, you know, really hadn't been maybe the same case in the past couple of years. So uh, no surprise, the album also uh, debuts number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, seemed like uh, it, was, it wasn't that long ago we were just talking about uh, Sweetener being number one. So, yeah, it's it's pretty rare for an artist to follow up uh, with a number one album that quickly. I know we saw Future have back-to-back number one uh, albums not that long ago. But but again, for, for a pop artist, uh, Ariana, uh, really, just uh, doing what she wants. All right, speaking of somebody else who has multiple hits under her belt at this very moment, let's talk about Halsey. So obviously the song Without Me was a number one hit on the Hot 100s. Still number one on the pop songs radio chart. Jump down to number two. And hey, it's Halsey once again, this time with Benny Blanco and Khalid on the song East Side. Uh, getting to number two after quite a long ride up the chart, Gary. Yeah, 30 weeks uh, to number two. Uh, that's a record climb to uh, number two. And just, uh, just kind of thinking in almost any other week, that this might be a, a really huge headline that Halsey has the two top songs at uh, pop radio. Ariana, I guess, maybe uh, kind of overshadows things a little bit this week. 
Yeah, she kind of um, just really like eclipses the whole chart this week. And speaking of sort of artists to double up at the top spot, uh, Ariana, top three, had to go all the way back to the Beatles to find somebody else. Halsey's top two, you don't have to go quite that far. Jump back to 2014. We'll see Iggy Azalea was the last person to have number one and number two on pop songs at the same time. Those songs, of course, were Fancy with Charlie XCX and her feature on, of course, Ariana Grande. There she is again. Uh, the song Problem. So 2014, Iggy Azalea. And Ariana. And once again, Ariana's yeah. impact up there. Uh, all right. Uh, I think we can actually talk about ours. We might not bring up Ariana uh, talking about this. Uh, just going over to country. Uh, yeah. for, for the record, we're not anti-Ariana, you know. <laughs> I guess it's, it's we, we almost sound kind of like, I guess we have to talk about her. Yeah. For the record, we love we love AG. Uh, yeah, country. Big week on country. Uh, Casey Musgraves with the album of the year win at the Grammy Awards for Golden Hour. Uh, that album is back at number one on top country albums, back in the top 10 on the Billboard 200 overall as well. And a single Rainbow from it hits uh, the country airplay charts top 40 uh, pretty quickly. So uh, it's doing well at AC Radio as well. So uh, Casey's only had one country airplay top 10 uh, so far. It was back in 2013 with Merry Go Round. So uh, we'll see if uh, this is the song that brings her back to uh, uh, high ranks on the country airplay chart. Uh, there's also uh, interesting stuff going on at country. The king of country, uh, George Strait, he's back. Uh, number 20, he debuts on country airplay with this song. Monday morning, it's a given. I'll be D-R-A-G-N dragging And that's what happens in every little honky-tonk so In at number 20, George Strait, it's his second highest debut ever of his record 99 songs he's had on Country Airplay. Only uh, I Saw God Today started one notch higher, number 19, back in 2008. Uh, I, you're not the biggest country fan, Trevor, but uh, I feel like this... This is one of George Strait's best songs. I'm saying that after only having heard it uh, one or two times. It's, it's brand new. I, I'm comfortable saying it. I think this is one of his best songs ever. I'll tell you what. I, I don't care what it is. All my exes, that's the song. That is that song. GTA San Andreas. That I used to like drive around. When that song came on the radio, that would be just, that's just three minutes of heaven. So that wasn't, uh, if you're in Texas, it's not, uh, oh God, we, we can't listen to this. This is too cheesy. No, I think, I mean, because you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Like he shot at the little towns, you know, it's like, like I grew up like, 20 miles from Galveston. So it's like, hey, Galveston, you know. So so always have a soft spot in my heart for uh, for all my exes live in Texas. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, have you ever had that where there's an artist you've liked for, for years, maybe 20, 20 years or so, and they put something new out and it's always, uh, oh, does their new material match up uh, well against their old stuff? And sometimes you hear a song and instantly or quickly uh, you think, yeah, this this actually is – one of their best songs, you sort of think, well, well how can that be? Because uh, I haven't had time to, to really process it. But uh, I'm, I'm on the side of songs of song, no matter when it came out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe we attach a sort of reverence for heyday and, you know, for, for, for hit-making statuses, indicators of what's best. And I, I think a lot of artists, you know, I don't think they would still be in the game if they didn't think they had something to offer, something to prove. And, yeah, I mean, I can think of some artists, you know, who just laid in their catalog. I mean, there's some Patty LaBelle, some Whitney Houston songs that I, you know, weren't massive chart hits. I don't know if they even necessarily charted at all, but just in terms of everything from, you know, the writers that they had, the production, and of course the vocal performances are still, you know, top notch. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a little, little, you know, easy to dismiss something that maybe isn't a hit, you know, they're just, you know, 
they're past their prime is not good. I don't think those things line up at all. Yeah, unless you're you're Elton John or somebody with that kind of uh, hit making longevity. Uh, most acts they they might have that one window where they really had big hits, but uh, for a lot of acts I know, uh, they still really hit a lot of creative highs uh, long after that uh, that big moment in the spotlight. Yeah, I think a lot of that really has to do with not trying to recreate what made you a hit maker in the first place. I think that's where a lot of people fall into the pitfalls of, oh, well, they just you know tried to you know rinse off this old hit and you know make it sound like it's something new. But it's really when they stick to their tried and true, which I know in a, in a way almost sounds contradictory, but when you don't, maybe when you try to make that hit, that like chases it away even further. Yeah, I think it comes down to the song. You can uh, I've seen cases where uh, an act works with a new producer, tries to be a little more uh, of the moment. Sometimes that works. Sometimes uh, you're better off just sticking with, with what you do. I think it really comes down to how good the song is. All right, and speaking of uh, some old vintage material you're going to turn into a new hit we're going to jump over to our special guest for the week neomza who was a co-writer on the number one song on the hot 100 this week seven rings which as mentioned really borrows a lot of the structure of my favorite things from the sound of music flips that on its head uh, also neomza co-writer of the number three song this week thank you next both from ariana grande's album of the same name so she really has a big share in ariana's historic week uh, also, for those who are big on Easter eggs or hidden clues, you may have caught her in the Seven Rings video as well. And dare I say, she may be one of the recipients of these magic Seven Rings. So we're going to find out all about how these songs were written and what it was like to craft two number one hits with the biggest pop star of the moment. So we are going to find out all about that. All right, along with uh, Neomis' co-writing credits, uh, her new EP Vacation is out now. Her uh, U.S. headline tour is starting. She's playing a Governor's Ball in New York as well uh, later this year. Uh, she was discovered, too, by Mac Miller, just uh, from a cover on YouTube. Uh, he signed her from that uh, to his Remember music label before uh, she wound up now on Motown. So we're going to talk to her about uh, the closeness she had to, uh, to Mac Miller as well. It's all coming up. Neomsa, our special guest here on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Neomza, welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. 
Hi. So, so I was reading different things online, first of all, about your name, because it's such a, a beautiful, unique name. Of uh, Does it translate to fresh, or is it youth, or, or is it both? It's kind of a little bit of all of those things. It's really like the fresh bud of a flower, like right before it blooms. So it does mean like something new, something useful, something fresh. And you said you like to keep your music fresh. It's sort of a, a hallmark of your sound is that uh, you, you don't like to, to, to be pegged down to just one sound. So I guess it's, uh, it's pretty fitting for, for, for your name as well. Yeah, it's definitely really fitting. Um, I definitely like to just uh, create whatever I'm feeling in the moment. So, yeah, I try to keep it pretty current to my own personal life. I guess one thing I got to ask you early on, because uh, we started with one artist, then a second artist, but now it really feels like a trend. So uh, your Albanian background. So uh, Dua Lipa, BB Rexa, Ava Max is, is just having her first hit with Sweet But Psycho now, and you're now uh, breaking mm-hmm. through even further. So uh, is this just a coincidence that uh, Albanian singer-songwriters are doing so well here in the U.S.? Or what do you think is behind that, if anything? I think if there's something that, is driving it. It's definitely like the ambition that we have as um, a nation, you know, Kosovo and Albania, we've been through a lot um, over the years. You know, there was a war in Kosovo between Kosovo and Serbia and my parents actually fled that war. So I think it's just the drive to um, create a better life for yourself and express yourself um, as an Albanian woman. So yeah, I definitely think it's just, yeah, the ambition just pouring out of our veins. <laughs> uh, not that you grew up there, right? You you moved uh, to the U.S. when you were really young, but that was instilled uh, by your yeah. parents. Uh, it's a great trait uh, to have. Oh, yeah. I grew up, I did grow up here. I moved here um, when I was like four or five years old. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I went back to Albania. I mean, Kosovo specifically. I went back to Kosovo every other year for like three months at a time. So a lot of my growing up and a lot of my childhood was definitely spent there as well. So it's a huge part of me. There's so much history there, you know, that you can just see with your own eyes if you go visit. Um, I think it's, it's a country that's progress- progressing. You know, we, um, like I said, there was a war not too long ago. So we've just been coming up out of that. But I think the country is doing a lot better overall. And there's so much amazing art coming out of there right now. Not only with like artists that are doing well out here, but they have a really great community of artists out there as well. So, uh, how did performing, you know, come into your life? Uh, I read that you were you started at a very young age. You were probably maybe four or five. What gave you that bug to to start uh, writing and, and singing? Um, it's so weird. I feel like it was always just a part of me. When I was a kid, um, in like kindergarten and first grade, I used to literally imagine myself performing for my uh, classmates. And I started writing my first songs when I was eight years old. Um, I would sit by the radio and like write down the lyrics because this was before we all had access on our phones and everything. Uh, so I would just write write down lyrics and then I studied the structure of them. I saw that there would be a verse and then a pre and then like four lines for a hook. And so literally that was like fun to me at this age. Like when I was eight years old, I was like, this is exciting and I want to do this. And I remember just having a notebook and writing songs in there. And ever since then, it was just a really, really big passion of mine. I started putting out original songs and performing locally by the time I was 13. So to give our our listeners like a little sort of temporal 
guideline. When you were eight years old listening to the radio, what songs were on? Who were some of the people that you were writing the lyrics down to? Oh, my God. So I was, like, obsessed with Christina Aguilera. Um, I got the Stripped album. <laughs> I, like, begged my mom for it. I really wanted that album. So I remember I bought that CD, studied those lyrics. That one actually came with, like, the lyrics in the CD when you opened it up and stuff with all the pictures and stuff. Um, Alicia Keys is huge part of that. You know, I love Destiny's Child. I was really into pop music as a kid. That was, like, my main focus was just, like, the pop music that was coming out in that time. And then as I got a little bit older, once I hit like my teenage years, 13, 14, 15, I was very, very influenced by rock music. And um, that's when I started a band actually. So I was in a band for like a couple of years. I'm curious what eight-year-old Neomza's lyrics were. Do you remember any? Oh my God. I was like in fake love or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> this is before my first kiss before anything so i was like okay all these songs are about love so let me just pretend i'm in love with somebody and write about that <laughs> okay so you mentioned by 13 you were already performing out there and i guess maybe if this were like the 70s 80s it would be the story of you performed in a lot of clubs and you sort of got noticed nowadays i guess the the modern club is is youtube where so many people record a lot of covers and that's sort of how they get discovered um and yeah, a, a very big name who happened to come across your path, Mac Miller. How did you and Mac first meet up, and uh, how did you get end up? How did you end up signed on? Remember his independent label. So after the whole like band stage that I was in, um, I decided that I wanted to have like a solo career. So for a year while I was in high school, I was kind of confused as to what route I wanted to go. So I figured I should do something that's going to get people's attention on me. And so I was like, let me start covering rap songs that people aren't really covering. So I looked up when Mac had dropped a mixtape called Best Day Ever, like a couple of days before I did this cover. And I looked it up and he um, had this song called I'll Be There. And he wrote it about his mom and Mother's Day was coming up. So I was like, okay, that's perfect. And there was no covers of it yet. So I was like, let me cover this song, dedicate it to my mom. And whatever, it's like a two-in-one thing. Hopefully people see it. And literally, by the next day, I had a couple of thousand views already. And um, I guess, like, one of his fan pages had posted it. And it got reblogged a bunch of times on Tumblr. And then he ended up seeing it the next day. And so he hit me up. Um, like, his best friend had hit me up, told me to come to the show. I met him a week later at the rave. He had a sold-out show at the rave. And I got guest listed for me to meet him. And after that, I just kept sending him demos my original music because I was recording every now and then trying to get my own songs together. So I sent him this demo called Riding Solo at the time, which is the first song I released as a solo artist, like on my own before my deal with him. And he loved it. And so he was like, look, I want, I want to like take you under my wing. I want you to be a part of most dope, which was his crew at the time. So I kind of became like, he kind of just like embraced me as a part of his crew and then a couple years later ended up signing me but within those years we grew together he was helping me get studio time you know like was mentoring me and yeah by the time i was 20 years old i did a deal with him isn't that crazy how i mean that the way the story just starts you just put out a cover and a week later you know you're you're backstage you're meeting the guy and it i mean who could have thought that that one week would go on to have so many years of friendship and oh. and, and relationships oh it's 
I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I can literally remember how excited I was. It was like a Sunday morning and I saw that like they had seen it and that I had like, had like 4,000 views and I was like screaming around my house. So I was like, mom, do you see this? Like, this is crazy. And then meeting him, like after being a fan and then it turning into a friendship and then it turning into him being my mentor. Like, yeah, it's like a whirlwind. It was absolutely insane. I still can't believe how it all happened to this day. From Mac Miller, is that how you got to know Ariana Grande? Uh, Segwaying into uh, uh, two number one hits that you've uh, written now in the Hot 100. Yeah, actually, I met Ariana. We met briefly once when I was like 19 years old at one of my first times visiting LA. Like she was hanging out with Mac um and then a couple years later obviously they started dating and we were around each other a lot more often so yeah that is how I met her um and then after he passed she was in the studio you know just working on music and also just trying to get through everything that was going on and um I was in New York and then we ended up linking up she had me pull up to the studio and then it just turned into a really cool workflow and um just like a good space to release, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, on a personal level, that had to be uh, that had to be a big loss uh, for you, for someone who uh, not only uh, helped you get your start, but someone you you got to know and, and got to bond with. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, it's definitely something I'm still kind of learning how to deal with and understand. But um, I just know that like he was meant to walk into my life, and he is the reason for so many beautiful things that have happened to me since I have met him so it was a meant to be kind of situation thought I'd end up with Sean but it wasn't a match wrote some songs about Ricky now I listen and laugh even almost got married and for Pete I'm so thankful wish I could say thank you to Malcolm cause he was an angel one taught me love. so it seems like the songs on uh, the Thank You Next album sort of sort of happened uh, organically. Uh, Ariana had just released Sweetener and uh, you know, pop stars aren't releasing album uh, follow-ups as quickly as, as she has now done. So uh, is that how it felt? Did these songs, uh, having been in the co-writing sessions, I'd love to, to really, uh, again, get inside your head of, of how specifically Thank You Next and Seven Rings were written. But did it sort of feel like uh, these songs came from just a very natural, organic place? They did, honestly. They really did. Um each song was made like there was like a song a day happening. It was all about like we walk in, figure out, you know, like how she was feeling that day and then kind of base whatever we were writing about that. It was super, super fast, super organic and um, just like a very natural experience. I mean, the album got finished within a couple of weeks. Like it was it was pretty crazy how fast it all happened. So take us into the writing. Uh, let's start with Thank You Next. She was just having a really rough day that day. And I mean, she just had a lot of stuff going on in her personal life. Um, We were just trying to lighten the load, I guess, a little bit as everybody else in the studio. Like, so she came in that day and was obviously feeling some type of way about the status of her relationships and stuff. But we decided to look at it in a more positive way and make that song, you know, make it just like, rather than being bitter, be thankful for what you learn from each relationship. It just came out really fast. Like it was just, it was like word vomit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, while we're talking about sort of the, the overlap of sweetener in this project, is this the, is this the first song 
of the Thank You Next project that really jump-started everything from, you know, I want to make a new album, I want it to be about this? Was was this the really the moment where all of what we're seeing now began? Or, or where in the process did this, this song come about? I mean, yeah, the album ended up being called Thank You Next after we wrote that song. She was like, okay, the album's called Thank You Next. They were already working on songs prior to when I got there. Um, so they had like a couple songs that they were like thinking about for the album and stuff. And then we made thank you next. I think that kind of like solidified the name of the project and really gave like the drive to finish the whole entire album. So we always hear about, uh, collaborations, uh, when they're written this way with, with, uh, different writers, it, it sounds like it just sort of came about from, from what we've heard about other songs that you were all kind of sitting around talking in this case about how uh, Ariana was dealing with things that day. And it, just that natural conversation that can lead to song lyrics. Yeah. And you have so many powerful women in the room and, you know, so many talented people in a room with, when it comes to the producers and the writers and, um, so I think it was just really, yeah, just flowing of conversation and ideas bouncing off of one another, you know? It was a very fluid experience. Do you remember uh, specifics when, when you hear the song now, uh, yep, that that's my line? Or, or was it sort of just collaborative overall? Is there a part of that song that you really uh, say, that's that's exactly what I contributed? Yeah, it was pretty collaborative overall, like, especially for that one. I, I would say it was collaborative overall. Who came up with the uh, at least the song is a smash line? I always chuckle when I hear that. It's such a su- such a meta line, and of course, it turned into a turned into a smash. It was uh, prophetic as well. I I don't really remember. I'm almost. I think it was Ariana that came up with that line, but I I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if it's the same thing, uh, the the one taught me love, one taught me patience, which has become the the the, the meme, the most famous lyric. Any uh, thoughts about how that came about? Yeah, um, again, it was just like a group. We were literally standing around a table, like throwing lines at each other. So <laughs> it was kind of definitely a group effort. And uh, I'll ask you about Seven Rings in a moment, but uh, from that process of writing the song, you're just all sitting around talking, becomes a song. What's it like when you see the song? debuting at number one, be uh, weeks at number one on the Hot 100 and that's Seven Rings uh, as, as, as a, an up-and-coming artist to suddenly have the number one song in the country that you co-wrote. What, what does that feel like? It's insane. I still really don't know how to process any of it. Um, yeah. like, I, like I said, I was in a very, I was in a pretty dark space. So when I was writing and helping with these songs um, or just whatever, contributing my part, it was, uh, it was just like a distraction for me at that time. Like I was having a lot of fun in the studio, just kind of like being able to release and like not think about everything else that was happening in my life. Um, so I was, I didn't have any expectations. So seeing it go from what it was in the studio to being so like worldwide and having the number one song in the country is pretty surreal. Um, yeah, I'm still trying to learn how to process it. Like, this is like my first placement as a songwriter. I mean, I've always focused on my artistry and just being an artist on my own. So getting into these sessions and working as a songwriter and placing these two singles, it's just like, it's absolutely insane. And it's definitely a blessing. It sounds like uh, like a lot of artists say that uh, music really is uh, therapy. When uh, when real life uh, gets really tough, uh, you can uh, try to heal yourself or uh, try to at least uh, deal with some of the pain through music. Yeah, that's the best part about it. 
what keeps me going every day. Yeah, so Seven Rings. How do you all go from sitting around a room talking uh, about uh, new pop songs and suddenly, uh, hey, let's let's rework my favorite things? Um, I think Ariana loves like theater and Broadway, so I think that was just like a shoe in, like us using that melody. It was just like a no brainer. Wasn't there? I thought I saw a tweet that somebody mentioned. Um, it, it may have been you, um, uh, but one of the writers, at least, that they you got drunk at like Tiffany's or something, and then like you just like left that night and started writing this song out. Is that is that is that true? How that got started? Did I did I make that tweet up? Oh no no no! She definitely it was Ariana. She tweeted um, that we went to Tiffany's and got really drunk off champagne. She ended up buying seven rings for everybody that was working on the project, and yeah, we left gotten an uber on the or gotten her driver's car on the way back to the studio and we had a bottle of champagne in the car and i was like hey we need to write a song about this like this is some boss shit we got to go in and just kind of get this experience in song form and you need to just like talk about today and the fact that you're a boss (laughs) so it really is a true story it's autobiographical it's really happened Oh, yeah, it literally is. It's a very true story. <laughs> How does it feel to have written a song where you share a co-writing credit with Rodgers and Hammerstein? <laughs> so crazy. I would have never <laughs> thought that would happen, honestly. That's something I did not expect happening in my life, but I'll take it. Yeah. Does this get you all going back into the catalog? Should we have a whole uh, album of, of uh, Oklahoma, other Sound of Music covers? Has this inspired that or maybe more of a one-time yeah. thing? <laughs> Um, I don't know if I'm definitely going to go that route, but I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> okay, now one thing about this song, uh, Seven Rings, it caused a lot of uh, controversy around the songwriting itself. You know, there was the allegations from Soldier Boy, there was the allegation from Princess Nokia. When did you first learn about, you know, people having red flags about this song? And what's your response to to either of them suggesting that you know, you guys stole, stole somebody's flow or aren't crediting somebody or, you know, were overly influenced. What do you, what do you say to that when you hear that? Um, I said this before, and I think, like, in this day and age, it's really hard to do something without being criticized, like, even if it's something good. But So um, I, I tried to, for me, it was just ignoring all that kind of, just because I know that, like, deep down nobody was trying to steal anybody's flow so i really think it just comes down to people trying to find something negative in almost everything nowadays <laughs> uh, the video as well you're in the video so not even uh, just uh, co-writing it I, I think it was a little less harsh for me knowing it wasn't my video so yeah. i was kind of just having fun fun in the background <laughs> i was enjoying myself again um not selling an alcoholic but we were also drinking champagne that day <laughs> so i was having a pretty good time there's a theme uh, running through your your songwriting <laughs> i know i feel like i need to stick to champagne and doing something good for me i was gonna say we're gonna get a moe you know sponsorship out of this for you like after this podcast wow <laughs> <laughs> wow that'd be amazing i love that <laughs>
now we're moving into your own music. You've got the new EP out, Vacation, out on the legendary Motown label. And the single uh, for the song Me and You is also out. How do you describe your sound to people who, who are going to hear you for the first time? We heard this song, you know, we had read that you said it kind of was a beachy song. I read somebody in the YouTube comments saying it kind of had that Aaliyah kind of easygoing vibe to it. Mm-hmm. To me, it was kind of like... It, like I guess the scene it kind of set was like a Sunday morning, like the light kind of like filtering in through the curtains. Like that was kind of the the mood I got from it. But how would you describe it to people? I think it's exactly how you described it. It's definitely that, like that comforting kind of like space. Um, it, I wrote it. I wrote it as like talking about having somebody be your vacation or you being somebody else's vacation and just being that safe space for somebody else or vice versa. So um, it definitely is that Sunday morning, sun peeking through your window kind of vibe for that single. And the whole project kind of is just like me going, um, me going inward and realizing that I can be happy in these spaces and in these moments and not have to really um, worry about the future since it doesn't really exist yet. I like that. Don't worry about the future. It doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's Thank a you. nice, it's a nice counterpoint. Cause I know now, you know, especially with the political climate, everybody's so anxious all the time. So worried about what's going to happen, you know, next year, 2020, this, you know, the earth's going to, to hell. It feels like we can just pause and enjoy what we have now mm-hmm. for real. Right. There's a lot of things that we have that we can worry about. So it is nice to take a break and just enjoy the moment that you have right in front of you every now and then. I think one of the small things that people may not realize, um, since you're on, you know, this release through Motown, what's it like for you to be associated now with such a historic label? I mean, we saw the tribute at the Grammys, 60 years of, of excellence. For you yeah. to be part of that family, what's that like? Yeah, it's really, really crazy. It's um, I used to Google how to get signed, so being signed to such a legendary label is just honestly incredible and something I used to pray for every night, you know? So I just feel, I feel blessed to be a part of something so legendary, you know, I'm just trying to live up to it. <laughs> and uh headline tour, they're playing governor's ball uh, this year as well. This is, it uh, feels like a big step forward for you in terms of live performing. I know you were saying a minute ago about uh, maybe it's a little easier uh, on the seven rings video. Cause uh, you weren't uh, the, the main uh, name out in front, but now, uh, being the headliner out on tour and in major cities, uh, major, uh, major shows like governor's ball. Yeah. I'm definitely ready to get back on tour and just like meet my fans. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So I think it's just like the perfect moment for me to go out now um, after releasing this project. I'm so excited for the governor's ball. I've been dying to play festivals. So I just feel, I feel like I'm actually prepared, you know, I've been working for this my entire life. So I think it's about time that I'm out playing shows and really um just getting out on the road yeah from uh, talking before about uh, your albanian background and, and uh, the resolve you said that uh people from that that area have it just kind of sounds like from talking to you that uh, you really do seem grounded you're taking uh, the success uh, in stride and and certainly uh you've uh, you've, you've had some losses personally uh, to, to deal with it kind of sounds like you've you've really got the right perspective about everything oh thank you i really appreciate that i mean it's just a, it really is a privilege to be able to do what I do. And I don't take any of it for granted, like ever, not one second. Every day I'm thankful that I get to wake up, make music as my job and reach people like all around the world with my music. 
it's something I hope I can do for the rest of my life. Uh, first off, you mentioned Alicia Keys earlier as one of your, your early influences. Uh, as we noted, you were at the Women in Music event in Billboard. Uh, Gary and I were both there. Did you happen to meet Alicia by chance that night? She was there as well. Were you starstruck or what? Um, no, I didn't get to meet her, but I was starstruck just by watching her talk. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's Alicia Keys. I am obsessed with her. So it was just cool to just be in the presence of her, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I assume a lot of people who, who didn't really know that side of Alicia really got to know her uh, through the, during her hosting at the Grammys. I mean, you know, what a great job she did just sort of setting the right tone for the evening. I mean, showing off so many of her musical talents and sort of where it may have been comedians doing skits and other parts. But I thought she really, like, held the show together just really, really nicely. No, she did. She just is such a graceful person. And I think she moves with elegance and... And she's just so talented and also powerful. So, yeah, I think she did a great job. And she's definitely an inspiration um, and someone to look up to as a female, as a woman. And so I bring up Alicia because uh, with Alicia and Christina and Destiny's Child, those were some of your earlier influences when you were growing up and really starting to get your foot into the door in terms of writing and singing. Who now are some of the artists who that you really enjoy? Have your taste changed over the years? And, and who would you want to collaborate with or work with or, or learn from uh, that's that's really popping today? Someone currently, I'm really, really into The weekend. I love Frank Ocean. Um, I think they people like them live in their own spaces. I was a, a really, really big Amy Winehouse fan. Um, I'm all about artists that just are like raw and uncut, like are and are like a hundred percent authentically themselves. I think there's a lot to learn from people like that. And I'm trying to be exactly that. I'm trying to just create my own sound, my own world that people can live in um, and identify with. I mean, those are, those are three of the best of the last decade. And, And you're right. They all have that through line of, you know, obviously they have the commercial success, but they don't, they don't, you know, chase it or manufacture it. It's really something that resonates from within that just finds the right click and touches a lot of people. Exactly. All right. Well, congratulations on all your uh, success so far, Neom. So it sounds like there's uh, so much more ahead. Uh, sounds like there's more reason for, for champagne ahead. Uh, <laughs> I think you've earned even more. <laughs> I'm virtually cheersing you guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Neomsa. Thank you. Cheers, Neomsa. Uh, great having her as our guest, uh, finding all about uh, how these songs are written. I really appreciate that. Having her on the podcast this week and the perfect time with uh, Ariana all over uh, the top of the Hot 100. Yeah, like I said, we'll look out for that Moe, Shandon, you know, sponsorship coming through soon. All that champagne. We we, we here at Charby Podcast love champagne too, so send us, send us some this way. All right. Uh, what are we wrapping up with, Trevor? Uh, okay, so I was thinking about what to, to end things on this week and... Uh, just last week, found out and remembered that Anita Baker was actually in town in New York City performing a couple nights at Radio City Music Hall on her farewell tour. And I know a lot of artists put put it out there that they're on the farewell tour and they, you know, do that last sweep and then somehow they never seem to retire. They're three, four years later back on the road 
this one feels like it it really might be might be the last one that we uh we get from Miss Baker. So uh for those who don't know, really one of the great R and B jazz veterans, um hugely popular in the late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties. Multiple Grammy Award winner was right up there competing at the top of the charts with with Whitney and Natalie and so many of the others. And feels like, you know, in honor of her, I guess, potential last passing through New York, maybe we should close with uh, one of Anita Baker's great hits. I'm uh, old enough to remember mm-hmm. when uh, she was having a hit. So, yeah, uh, giving you the best that I got when I first got into music around uh, 1988. That song was huge for, for the entire winter into uh, 1989. Is that is that the one that's closest to your heart, Gary? That's yeah, uh, the first song I knew about her. Oh, oh, you missed Sweet Love and Caught Up in the Rapture? And I all. got to know them afterwards. But, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. We'll close with the one that uh, that first crossed Gary Trust radar back in that cold winter of 1988. Here it is, the one, the only Nita Baker, and her 1988 smash, Giving You the Best That I Got. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.